Hi, I'm Patrick Flessner, and I'm again at Gut Talks, double G U double T. Hi, everyone. I'm Maria, and welcome to Gut Talks, double G U double T, a podcast I started to connect, reconnect, and meet like-minded individuals and put some karma on the board. In this episode, we put together an existing segment of season three. So instead of listening in batches, you get to listen to the entire conversation. We had over 89,000 downloads to date, starting from zero, with no sponsors. And it's a 100% self-funded podcast. Thank you so much for hanging around and listening to the episodes. And I have one ask only. I'd love to have your feedback to keep the show up to your expectations. So drop me a line at Maria at gut. .com, and like, share, or leave a review if you can. Now let's get started. Patrick, thank you again for being on Gut Talks in season three. So that's um, the second one. So we did the first one a few months ago. So I just want to say that in the first episode or in the first segment, you were on episodes 44 until 52. And the main topic was about fast scaling. So we discussed your book, which is all about fast scaling, your background as a lawyer, which led you to working in M&As and funding and scaling ventures. Hence, you wrote your book on fast scaling. You also write for Inc. Magazine. Uh, you do public speaking. And I remember you saying something during our last conversation here on Gut Talks. It's basically, you said that, yes, you can scale a venture, you can grow a team, you can build your company, you can do great. However, leadership is something that matters. And this is what led you to exploring the topic more, like in depth, because you were already facing it, working with founders and also investors through your fund. And you wrote your book and we are discussing this. Today is the 13th of April and your book will be released very soon in April, and I'm waiting for my signed copy. Uh, yeah, and, you will get it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the subtitle is A Leadership Tale About the Challenging Path to Becoming an Effective Leader. You also have a course that is kind of linked uh, to your book. So how are you? I know you're busy doing lots of talks, lots of promotion about the book, and so how are you? Yeah, thanks for asking. I'm fine. It's very exciting times, I must say. So as you said, the book will be published by Wiley on the 27th of April. It can already be pre-ordered. It's in fact called The Leadership House. And then the subtitle is, is uh, The Challenging Path to Becoming an Effective Leader. It's interesting, you know, I've also just, I just gave a TED Talk about this topic. And um, it's exciting because the, the book is not even published, but I've uh, given away uh, copies and first drafts to pr quite renowned uh, people who suddenly wrote great praise for the book. You know, there was one one day I woke up, looked at LinkedIn and saw that Howard Bihar, the former president of Starbucks, just wrote me something like, you know, in this leadership tale, you will find the tools necessary to enhance your leadership story, uh, leadership journey. Thanks, Patrick, for giving us su such a gift. I was like, you know, wow, what a morning. Yeah. So people talk about it even before it's published, so it's quite promising. And I've been asked to, to be on the TED Talk, which was also a challenge, to be honest, because, you know, this once-a-lifetime opportunity to talk there, and you do not want to screw it up. You want to be well-prepared. You want to, you know, capture the audience. So 
that was that was also a lot. But yeah, as I said, exciting. I mean, I've left my former fund, so I've started as a lawyer half of my career. Then I've been working as an investor the other half of the year. And last um, year, I, I left my fund in order to to start something new, a new endeavor. To still trying to figure out what this new is, and currently exploring with some uh, other people building a venture capital fund again on an impact fund, sustainability, where I can combine my expertise in investing and you know my passion also for, for our planet. Uh, so yeah, as as you see, there's a lot going on currently. Yeah, there is okay. So congratulations that on this new uh, journey. I don't know that, so that's cool news. And I also had this sentence from uh, the former president of Starbucks, and I wanted to ask you about this. So maybe you know some listeners, and and I know this from also other podcasts and webinars, and lots of people ask about writing a book. Yeah. So maybe we start with this because you told me that you initially. I remember last time you said you initially started with the first book, and then you were like, "I really enjoy this." And I want to write another one. That's what you said. So, and now, you know, it's after the, the second book that you're also getting more traction and waking up with good news in the morning. So how are you getting there? How is it getting to the hands of people and getting them to write about the book? What are, if you want, the pros and cons of writing a book, if someone wants to do that? Many questions and good questions. Many people ask me this about how to write a book, why to write a book. Let's go with uh, Simon Sinek, start with a why. Uh, so I think the beauty about writing is that you can share your knowledge and experience not only with the people you're directly working with, but with a broader audience. So the first book was really tailored towards founders and helping them find the right growth strategy. Using this tool, if you will, I could help many more founders than just the ones we invested in. And it's still amazing. I still get direct messages on LinkedIn where people thank me for writing this book. It has helped them in many ways. And the funny part is also that everybody refers to a different chapter in the book which is really great. Yeah, there's not just one chapter. Obviously, people have different problems and, and, and the book helps them. And that's just amazing. I think the the most rewarding part is this feedback that, that I get. Then certainly writing a book, many people want to do this. It's really about, I think, I also, when, when, when I talk about public speaking, I always say there are many people who talk, but only a few have something to say. So you if you want to write something in terms of, helping others, there should be something you want to convey, something what you think others will value and you can help. It's like, you know, servant leadership, like helping others, you know. It's not about the ego. It's not about publishing. It's about helping. I'm always convinced that if you help others, it will come back to you at some point in time. And writing the book is... um, I've totally underestimated what it means to write a book. I started at the beginning of the pandemic and I thought I don't have to commute anymore, so let's write a book. Yeah, I ended up getting up at three o'clock in the morning, writing four hours, then working. In the evening, I, I continued writing. The first draft is usually crap, full of repetition. But my my secret sauce was um, someone told me about a 30 days writing challenge that you just write, write, write without editing and magic happens. Suddenly you have a book in your hands. As I said, it's crap, but it's a book. Yeah, you refine it, you do it over and over again, and that, that's that's good. But writing a book also means that you, at least I suggest this, 
if you don't want to want to get into writer's block, really learn how to write a book, how to structure a book, how to go about it, starting with a mind map, outlining the book. Before you start writing the first sentence, you know what you want to say in each chapter, you know the whole book. It's just it's just about writing it. And then suddenly, after the first book, um, leadership was top of mind because choosing the wrong growth strategy is nothing but a leadership decision that ended up with a poor result. Yeah, And so I, I thought about leadership and I certainly I know a lot about leadership because I've worked for leaders, I've been a leader myself, I've been to leadership courses, read books about leadership, but the, the common feedback I received from people, from founders, from executives, from coaches I've been working with was, Patrick, leadership advice comes in piecemeal fashion. One day I hear, I must be humble and strong at the same time. Then I should not micromanage, but inspire and empower, like full of buzzwords. It lacks a system. And then I thought, you know, do I have a system? And I, I think I had a system, but I wasn't aware that I have a framework that I'm actually following. That I, you know, started, you know, creating this framework, which ended up being the Leadership House Framework. And the Leadership House Framework has three distinct sections. It's eight elements, but the first is how to build a strong team. The second is about how to set up a team for success. And the third, very important, how to make sure the teams execute. Uh, leadership is also about results. So sorry for this long answer, but if you want me to talk about how to write a book, um, I could continue for hours probably. All right. So we're not, I think it just gives a good overview because some it's something I've seen many times. The other topic is self-publishing or not self-publishing, but you, you said this book is being published by Wiley and you were extremely excited about it. You asked, you know, how do you get people to write praise, for example? It's okay. like, I mean, if you write a book, you want feedback. Yeah. You give the book to people who probably are interested in your thoughts. Yes. And somehow Howard Bihar and I were on the mastermind call. Oliver Kaltner, the former CEO of Leica Cameras, I have been with him on a supervisory board. Uh, and um, Guy Spadrul, who also wrote the introduction to the book, former CEO of Klöckner SE in Germany. You know, we were exploring a few things together. And if you have these crazy great people around you, it's just, you know, ask. It's just a, would you be interested in reading my book? And, you know, you will be surprised. Most of people are. And then, you know, again, the magic happens sometimes. You know, Howard Bihar, I think I didn't ask him, could you write a praise? But people, if you if they read it and like it, they will just do it. And then, you yeah. know, I wanted to self-publish it. And as I got such great feedback from so many people, I thought, you know, maybe I should show it to a few publishers. And um, it, it it went really fast. Um, Wiley was fast back to me, other, other publishers. And yeah, and, and, and uh, any night, if you hear it, um, she convinced me to go with uh, Wiley. Okay. Well, cool. That's a great story. And uh, yeah, I mean, is there another book you reckon upcoming? It's about company culture, team culture. It's okay. actually, it's already outlined. It's about, and oh, I love this topic. It's about, you know, leading um, change management, but actually change leadership. And in a, in a, in a setting of, of a dysfunctional organization being dysfunctional due to, to, to cultural problems and the protagonist is about to change this. Also, again, with the framework I use when I, when I work with people, and he's applying this in this book. So, but be with me. I'm not yeah, in a hurry. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, now you need some good night's sleep, but that's a big topic, actually, because you're talking about dysfunctional organizations and sometimes some small changes can make a big difference. It's just about also letting go and people. So we have another book. We know that one. Um, I have two questions here just yeah. to wrap up on this topic. So going back to the name of this podcast, obviously, God Talks and when you write, that's your first draft, but also when you edit, do you tend to trust your gut on certain decisions? Because I, I assume that you would go through like two or three paths and be like, shall, shall I go this route or this route or that one? Just to make some, you know, big edits or minor edits or go in a certain direction. Is your gut part of this decision-making process? Yeah. I mean, leadership, there are thousands of books about leadership. You know, uh -huh. if, if I had thoroughly thought about it, I would probably have refrained from writing a book about leadership. But my gut feeling told me there is something to share, which is new, which is fresh, a different way of doing it. There is a market or seems to be a market. I didn't know, but my gut feeling told me yes. So then the second step was how or what kind of book to write. So there's actually another book out there. It's already in the workbook for this, for this book. I started actually writing again a handbook on leadership. I followed my gut feeling. The first book was successful. I know how to structure it. Let's do it again on leadership. Mm -hmm. And it was ready. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be even more compelling, even more helpful if I wrapped all this this stuff, this framework and what I have to convey into a leadership story, kind of a novel. And now this is really about gut feeling, right? You know, I've never written a novel. Yeah? And, and I was, you know, sneaking around probably for a month until I grabbed my coffee at three o'clock in the morning, went down into the basement and started writing. Also, I think a gut feeling that I thought I could give it a try. Maybe I can write this kind of story, a novel. And it's, I didn't know that. But, you know, even if today, if I open the book and read what I've written, I don't know why and where this is coming from. It's like, I'm obviously creative. So it, again, a pity I studied law. Uh, but uh, a lot of gut feeling involved, I would say. All right, cool. The next question um... I'm sure maybe you've been asked this question. When did you start writing this book? Was it before or after Chad GPT became widely open to the public? This book, this book I started, I think, almost exactly one year after the first book got published. Okay. Uh, so in, in, I think, March 2021. And if you recall the first book, it's, it's actually the reason is I share some statistics. 70% of all startups fail due to premature scaling. Uh -huh. yeah. And I thought, you know, what actually about the rest? And so that was the starting point. And then I, I thought, okay, it's probably all related to leadership. And then I said, ah, epiphany. Also, growing, yeah, choosing the wrong growth strategy is, 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 a, is a leadership decision. And, and that was the starting point. No, ChatGPT, um, it's just amazing, mind-blowing, I'd say. It's it's really something that will change so many industries and disrupt so many industries. It's unbelievable, yes. Do you use it for research, for example? Or do you think yeah. you would be using it for even research or, I don't know, about writing, uh, maybe editing, maybe some support? Have you tried this to see? It helps me a lot. So, for example, when I thought about the third book, about company culture, uh -huh. you can ask them a lot of things. You can, I, I ask, you know, this is my view. Do you see it differently? What kind of resources should I read about culture? Uh -huh. it's, these are all good starting points, I think, you know, and it saves a lot of time. But, you know, writing a novel, uh -huh. yes, that's, that's a different, diff, I think, different animal. And I do it because I enjoy writing, right? Yeah. It's, and 
you, I can only enjoy, enjoy writing if I write. Yeah. So, but it's a tremendous, tremendously powerful tool. I don't know where this will be heading. Yeah. And you write in English direct or do you write in German as well? No, I only write in English. Market sizing. <laughs> Leadership is not a, a new word, obviously. But we used to hear it more if we talk about the general public, specifically in the political scene. You have the leader from this country or that country and whatever. And this is the first thing one would identify with. At least when you're a kid, you talk about leaders in that respect. And then over time, I mean, now the word leader is, is everything. Even if freelancer wants to grow as a leader, leaders like at school, you know, young kids and so on. So the word has been diluted, but it's also being shaped in a different way to break this. Okay, I, have, I might have very particular political opinions in general. Uh, but this comes maybe from someone who went through wars and things like that. So I kind of like question and criticize everything, but just analyze it, put it that way. And for me, using this word leadership, yeah, like or leader on TV or in newspapers and on, on the media in general. And for me, like, these are not leaders, you know. You mentioned those words about like readership, right? You spoke about uh, inspiration, execution and so on. So and, and here it's like we have people who are leaders, but who literally destroy the world. So... How can your book and your contribution and your talks and, and everyone else is in the space who have kind of a like-minded uh, way of thinking help shape this and put this back on track somehow? Like, what's a leader? Yeah, leadership is not something that is given to us. Mm -hmm. Leadership is something that we earn, that is to be earned and it's a privilege. And you are not a leader because you are highest in the hierarchy of an organization. You're not a leader because you're the chancellor of Germany. You are a leader because people follow you and want to be led by you. And I love this example. I don't know whether my neighbor listens to podcasts, but she's a teacher. And we talked about leadership. And she said, my director, the one heading the school, I think it's principal, I don't know the English term for this, thinks of himself, he's a strong leader and he offers us leadership courses and leadership advice. But he's so arrogant, nobody wants to hear what he has to say. He's not a leader. He thinks of himself he's a leader, but nobody's following him. He's like taking a walk in the park, but he's not a leader. You do not become a leader because of your title. You do not become a leader of your role. You're a leader because people want to be led by you. So why my book, you asked for this question, it will help, hopefully, people to become leaders. No, leaders that others follow. Because it gives the people a framework they can use to climb the leadership ladder, to use it day in, day out, to systematically go about being more effective, making the right decisions, conveying the right messages, also balancing being hands-on, being hands-off. Let me, let me give you another example. I mean, I've not always been a good leader. Also, I had to develop my leadership skills. And I struggled the most balancing whether I should be hands-on and tell what to do or hands-off. There was the time I was convinced, you know, micromanaging is really bad. So what I did was, you know, gave a task or told something and then didn't do anything at all. But the point is people want to be led. They don't want to be let alone. They want to be led. So leadership is also about, you know, finding the right position on a scale. In my book, I also talk about a leadership scale. Where do I have to be? If I talk about vision, about purpose, I need to be strongly involved. And the more it goes towards execution, the less involved I need to be if, if I have set up a, the team for success and a strong team. But there's 
low involvement. It's not no involvement. Yeah. And strong leaders. There's another framework I, I learned from an INSEAD professor. It's called the leadership altitudes. Some leaders and then also leaders I work with, CEOs, thought, you know, now I'm, I've got a big company, a lot of money from investors. So I can focus on strategy now and partnership, but that is not leadership. No, this is also leadership, but you know, there's also the point in time where the people need you, but you really need to go down, not from 10,000 feet to, to 1,000 feet and sometimes even to five feet and, and make your hands dirty because this is what is required from you at that point in time. So leadership is about being someone that others want to follow. And then what you're saying here actually goes back to customer experience also because when you're working with, with customers whereas it's B2B or B2C it doesn't matter when they see that the CEO because you mentioned CEO um, is involved would talk to them is there it makes a massive difference and also the employees and people in, in the company because otherwise everything is like top down and they feel they don't have a voice and this is why maybe they want to move on or work with some other people because the experience that people have is not enjoyable. So they're not going to speak well about it. They're gonna not going to stay longer. They just want to move on to the next thing, probably. Interesting, you, you mentioned that one because that's quite frequent also. I mean, you mentioned yourself. It's like, no, I'm the CEO. I'm behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, then don't be, you know. So I think you know, being with a customer is, is also a kind of rewarding and and it's about also understanding how the customer thinks i think also there i think you need to find the right balance if you're the yeah. ceo and you're, you're always with the customer your your sales guides and ladies might say you know what are we here, here for so there's also thank i think it's also a balancing act in my book i write about shared goals shared goals is, is one of the pillars of the leadership house and shared goals are not goals or core core goals they are shared goals and why are they shared goals? Because I'm strongly convinced that if we build a strong team, have and hire great people, better skilled people, better skilled in terms of their skills and their domain expertise. If you manage to create a team that embraces teamwork, why would we as leaders tell them what to do? Uh, For sure. You no, know, that's imposing goals on the team. And if you if you impose goals on the team, they they will remain your goals. But if you involve the team, your strong team, into the goal setting process, like magic again, they become their goals. It's what what they think we should do to turn vision into reality. And then you know they feel motivated, they feel the trust that you as a leader have in their capabilities, and suddenly you have such a strong team. But this is just one example of. I think misconceptions and in, in, in misperceptions also in leadership that leaders I work with always think, many of them at least, I'm the leader, I have to tell them what to do. And even leadership coaches sh share this kind of message on LinkedIn. I've just recently see, uh, seen one says, you need to give direction. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Direction, yes, in terms of purpose. Why are we doing what we're doing? And vision, where do we want to go? But how do we get there? If you assemble a great team, Involve it in the goals, the goal setting process. Make it shared goals. Make it their goals, and you will see them do whatever they can to achieve them. And you can focus on leading them, on finding the right place, on the leadership scale, on making sure they execute, on 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 and empowering them. Yeah, yeah, no, you're making uh, perfect sense, and uh, it's also like they're connected to the values of the company and. You're talking about balancing it out. No, for sure. I, I didn't mean actually the CEO should do all that, but know what's happening rather than probably just hear it from somebody yeah. else who would 
look at it in a different way makes a massive difference. I don't know if you have this program in uh, Germany called Undercover Boss. Yeah, I think that's yeah. on TV somewhere, I think. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's on TV. I used to watch the French version, I mean, sometimes, and uh, the, the, the English one, the American one. Yeah, I think sometimes. And I don't personally like the word boss, but what do you think of this uh, program? I must confess, I think I haven't watched it. I oh, know okay. what, what, what what's going on. I think this kind of boss goes into a, into a, let's say, an outlet without the people knowing that he's actually the boss and he's just doing the, the, the work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. In, in order to understand how people behave, how people treat each other. It's, I think, in real life, I would find this a bit tricky and dishonest. Yeah. And I'm absolutely convinced that you need to be a trust trustworthy leader who's transparent, who's honest. So it, I think it doesn't resonate with me. I think, but the idea is great yeah. because you need to understand how people behave, maybe to get a sense of, of the culture so that you are not in the ivory tower and don't know what's going on. Because I think, as I said, the third book is about culture and yeah. culture is a result of purpose, vision and values. And all three purpose, vision and, and values lead to the behavior and th- this behavior, you want to understand how people behave, then you will understand whether they work on the same values on uh, towards the same vision and for the same reason. I think that's very important. There are probably better ways to do this. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the, the part at the end where they just give rewards and stuff and finding people who really need some help, you know, because they can't pay their bills. And for me, you know, when you want to help someone, you don't have to go and promote it. That's the part that I, I don't like. But I like the concept of understanding what's happening in the organization where there's probably no visibility at the top, but understand how people feel, how they react, how, what they think about all this. But I just don't like the um, outcome of it. I, I just, I don't think this part should be on TV, but, but this is what sells. That, that's the thing again, going yeah. to. Uh... Yeah, let, let me share a story with you. When I came back uh, from my TED talk, I was flying with Ryanair and we were, we just, <laughs> we were just in the plane and this stewardess was almost shouting at passengers. Yeah, don't do the luggage here. Don't do this there. If I have to tell the one one more time, you're out here. Wow. And I and I only thought, you know, I was really about. I asked myself, should I say something when I leave the leave the plane? Well, should I say if your boss was here, he would probably fire you because this is not the behavior that someone at Ryanair wants to see. And she was an exception. The others were so polite and so friendly that decided to, to just not say anything. But this is like an example, you know, if you are so close and if you're in this plane and if the CEO uh, had been there, she would probably fire her. I'm sure you didn't, didn't want to see this kind of behavior. And, you know, these kind of behaviors, you know, one apple spoils the, uh, the bunch. I think that's that's how they say it. You know, others see it happening and, and will will behave the same way. And that's not what you want as a leader. Yeah. And as a customer, you, you will probably not fly back and you will say it everywhere to everyone. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, there are many stories on, on that front, but it's all linked. I mean, this whole, as you're saying, leadership topic, even customer experience, uh, experience in general, user experience, uh, company culture, they're so linked together. And and the funny thing is, you mentioned dysfunctional organizations, right? It's not rocket science to make it function, <laughs> but it's it's just a, a decision that's in the mind of some people where I'm not willing to make an effort, change and see what's happening versus I want to. 
and then that's all it takes. I personally think if we were now to ask 100 people, I don't know how many of them would have a clear answer to how do I create a functional organization. I think it's very blurry, it's like leadership, it comes in pieces. I think it's, it's, I agree that it's not rocket science. If you follow a system and there's also a system for this, but I think that most people just don't know. They don't know how to lead effectively, what it means, and they don't know, you know, culture and then leading culture. That's also why I wrote the book about change leadership and change the culture, because it's already difficult to change leadership or change management, but do this in a cultural setting. That's a tough one because culture is not, you know, changed by, by just simply saying, Let's have different values. I mean, it's also what, what people try, right? You know, they write now values on the wall in, in, yes. in the entrance hall and think, you know, now everything is solved. If that is the system, it's probably not, not a good system. It's also a system, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about it, saying we are driven by and we do this, doesn't mean they do it, obviously. But it's, it's but small changes can start making a difference. It's, it's not what I meant by rocket science. It's like it can start with small modifications that are not so abrupt. I guess, but each one will be different. I mean, each organization is different. Each person is different. And also we don't know what, if someone was to ask you, this is, this happens with athletes, right? Like with football players, let's say they ask them every day before training, how did you sleep? How was your day, uh, your evening? How, and all this is linked to their performance. They use this as metrics linked also to their, the nutrition and the performance they have on the pitch. If they're, uh, I don't know, performing as they're supposed to or not and try to analyze how is it linked. And I think that this is just in one environment that's very, uh, I think, restricted and controlled when we talk about football because of the money that goes in it. But it, it happens in organizations. You're, you're uh, like the lady at Ryanair you were mentioning. Probably she, maybe she broke up with her boyfriend. I don't know. And, and she was not happy. But it's wrong. Again, you it's not our job as customers to accept it or not. It's like you just don't do it like that. So yeah, and and sports, a PSG. Yeah, PSG. Yeah, I use it as a as a great example for a dysfunctional organization. Best players in the in the right roles, they lose because they are not a strong team. They're not a strong team. It lacks teamwork. Maybe it lacks also purpose. Is it? I'm not close enough. But for me, PSG is a good example of of a team where cultural change and different leadership could make them succeed. But also, it's also and always about people. People matter and they shape the culture uh, together with the leader. And I think you are right in, in the sense that you can tweak it here and there and you can make significant changes. Uh, so if you think about the purpose again, am I here because I want to earn a lot of money and this club pays me so much? Or am I here because I want to be here? I want to be here to achieve to win the Champions League, to be in Paris and, and do something for the club. Do I actually share this vision? Probably the vision is the easiest one. Everybody wants to win the Champions League, so easy one. But, you know, values, you know, am I committed to work for the team or do I just want to, to score? Yeah? Do I have people, 11 people on the pitch who all embrace teamwork or not? And if you want to initiate change, you must make sure that the people on the pitch share the same values. Only if you share the sh same values, you will see the desired behavior and you can make, you can succeed. And maybe it's really about making it uh, changes here and there and, and, and they will finally get there. But I'm too far away. But that's how I look at it uh, from a distance. Yeah. 
I like this example because you said you have Messi, Bappe, uh, well, and Neymar, right? And all the money that's thrown in this club, and I'm, I'm, I don't really follow like in that sense. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Like all the money that's there, and it's not just about this because you look at other teams that don't have that money and probably perform better yeah. or better leaders on the pitch and and outside the pitch because it's not only being on the pitch. If Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe um, do not run back and try to help the team also in the defense. What kind of signal is this? You know, they want to be leaders, but that's, that's not leadership. And then, you know, you see the defense saying, why should I run? And it won't work like this. Strong teams won't work like this. Yeah. It's enough about PSG. <laughs> do you follow football? Like, do you, do you follow like Champions League or German Football. Yeah, I, I think I watch Champions League and, and my, my little Cologne uh, football club, but I'm not, you know, passionate or how do you say? Do you have an example of uh, a team, because you worked with many scale-ups, obviously, where your frameworks and the work they also put in and the effort made a difference in getting, let's say, a scale-up where it needs to get to? So, I mean... I develop, so if I'm investing and if I'm on the board of directors, I try to be close to the people and help where I can. It's often more about specific topics. If founders ask me about leadership and also about do I want to coach them, I'm more than happy to do this. This has happened more with companies that I personally was not invested. And then sharing this framework has helped them. It's like, gosh, yeah, that makes sense. And that this is... This is great to see. But as I said, initially, it's always about, I mean, I can work with them on a continuous basis and go through this framework. That's probably the best approach. So let's say we focus one month on, on a specific topic of the, of the leadership house. And in between, we have like, you know, discussions around urgent topics that need to be solved. I think over time, I can help them get where they want to be. The reason being is, as I said, initially, there are three topics It's about making sure I have a strong team. And so I thought, for example, the leadership house has a, has a foundation like every house. I thought initially it should be the team, but I switched this. At the end, it's trust. If you, you can have the best team players, if they do not trust each other, you will never end up with a strong team. So for me was, I think about building a strong team. It's first and foremost about, you know, about trust and how do I as a leader ensure that people trust me, that I can trust the team and that the team players trust with uh, trust each other. And it's about a, a strong team, how to create, how to assemble the team, what actually makes a, a strong team. And I, I talked about teamwork. I think that's always a missing, missing piece. And then about values. These three elements I work with in order to make sure that the team is really strong. It's also about team culture, it's about teamwork, about values. And then setting it up for success It's a little bit, you know, about turning vision into goals and into more granular plans. You probably know OKRs um, that many people use. In my view, it never works uh, because it's too complex. The world has changed too much. It's too agile. It's it's OKRs in the in the sense of how John Durr developed them 20 or 30 years ago. I think they won't do the trick anymore, but there are ways to do this. And that's about, you know, setting up the team for success, which really helps and, and there it's really important for me that it's not so there are there are three leaders one is they come up with a plan and there's no responsibility anywhere it's just a plan 
if I ask, you know, who's responsible for what, they don't have an answer. They say it's marketing or it's it's, it's tech or product. Yeah? And it's not clear responsibilities in the plan. If you are not, if you do not have clear responsibilities, for me, it's like writing an email to three people who all know, well, it's probably not for me, someone else will answer. Yeah? You need clear responsibilities, but you cannot stop there. If, if you, if you work with um, organizations where leaders allocate responsibilities only, you will hear things like, well, it's not my fault that we didn't achieve this goal. I've done what I was supposed to do. Or this is not my responsibility. So, And this is where now it links a little bit to execution, where I talk about accountability and empowerment. Accountability means you hold your team members accountable for, for what they do and the results they achieve. And this is why also plans need to have clear responsibilities and clear results that need to be delivered. If you work with clear results, so have a, a goal of getting to product market fit, what does every team have to do and deliver to, so we generate product market fit? Intangible, measurable results. Then you can go there and say, well, you don't have, even have to go there because people work towards results. And if they see they are not measured by tasks, but by results, they will, they will ask for help if they see that they don't get there. And then you, you get to teamwork again. And then as a trustworthy, trusted leader, you can also hold your team members accountable for, for not achieving results because they know it's not about them. It's about the topic. It's about the team. Again, culture. So it's just it's now a short example. You need to have the whole framework, but all elements actually are interlinked and execution is only possible if you have have a solid team set up for success yeah? and, and a great plan won't do the trick if the team is not good. So it's, it's all interrelated and that's the leadership power staff. So how would you get them to deal with uncertainty? Because things can happen along the way and they can't obviously follow. And then, you know, their initial plans and, and this can disrupt many things because we do live in completely uncertain yeah. times. We don't know. And the most important thing for them is, I think, not to freak out. <laughs> and to find a way to keep working together. So keep, if you want this, let's assume this working machine goes along and embraces change that's happening along the way. I know there's no secret recipe for this, but again, just your thought on, on yeah, this. I think it's actually for me pretty simple. These are typical discussions I have with founders and leaders. The point is there is no right or wrong decision for sure you hear it every every time my wife says it yeah, yeah i know but I, I there's no i i agree there is no wrong or right decision it's only a poor decision making process so when i decided to do my mba in 2007 i didn't know that there would be a financial crisis and that yeah. nobody would, would be looking for a lawyer with an mba but in 2007 i thought this is the smartest idea ever yeah to combine these two this knowledge of of mba and and legal background it took me some time to get where I wanted to get, but the decision was not, not wrong. And the decision-making process was not, not bad. I asked many people, I involved people, I listened and decided to do it. So if you, in 2019, decide to open up a restaurant because you're passionate about it, you're leaving law, yeah, and you say, I don't care, I have a better idea. And then suddenly the pandemic hits. The decision to do this was not wrong. But people would say it's wrong. If you've made a solid, a good decision-making process, it's just bad luck. You can have bad luck and you can you can be lucky. It's part of our life. External circumstances change. So to, to close the loop, yes, we are living in a volatile environment, a lot of uncertainty. 
certainly our decisions, we need to correct our decisions. We need to follow a different path. Um, that's all good. That's part of the journey. That's part of being a team. And it's not about you have said we should do this and blaming someone. You know, this is a saying, if, if you throw dirt at someone, the only thing that's happening is you're losing ground. I absolutely think so. Yeah, It's not about who has made the decision. It's a, We've all made this decision based on shared goals and joint plans, as I describe it in my book. And then it's a good, good decision-making process, and we need to correct it. And when I talk about execution, I always talk about these leadership challenges. And leadership challenges, there are two dimensions. One is external challenges, like the pandemic, a volatile macroeconomic environment. We cannot change these external circumstances. The solution to this is to focus on our internal challenges, to deal with our self-doubts, and to create a team that can cope with the external challenges. This is the only way you can actually overcome the leadership challenges. If, if you focus on what you can change and don't spend time and energy on, on things you cannot change. And therefore you need a decision-making process and a strong team. I hope there's a lot of leadership thoughts that I have in this regard. I hope it resonates. Yeah. I think whoever wants more can go to the book that will yeah. be released. I mean, as this podcast will be published, the book will already be out. Do you want to talk about the course? There's not much to talk about, to be honest. I think there is um, on my website, patrickflesser.com, there is a free course, yeah. which is also based on, on the Leadership House framework. It's short, but not too short. I think it's it's probably eight to 12 small pieces, probably eight to 10 minutes. So it's not really short, short. There's a lot of content and it's for free. And there is probably going to be a complete course on leadership. Uh-huh. But it's a lot of work and uh, I'm still working on it. So is the course that's currently available something like to go through before reading the book or after? No, I, I would do the course afterwards, definitely. Oh, you would do the course after, okay. I mean, uh, the, the, the book, I mean, it's a story, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, the protagonist gets from A to B to C throughout the book through the help of a, a female business angel. And I think it's a it's a great story. I think that at least what people say, I think I wouldn't screw it up by, by first taking the course. Ah. Okay. But you, you have like the first uh, module, I would say, or the first video in this uh, course is how to develop leadership skills systematically. Yeah. Can you highlight like in a nutshell what this is about without giving away the entire module? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the point of the book, right? It's, it's they are all elements for themselves. People have heard about accountability. People have heard about empowerment. Yeah. I think there are two problems. If you hear accountability, if you hear empowerment, and if you ask people, what's this actually? Yeah, I don't think that many nail the, the answer. Yeah? So empowerment is usually here is about, I, I need to provide the right tools and resources so that they have the power to deliver. I think empowerment is about empowering your strong teams that you have set up for success to make important decisions themselves. That is empowerment. Yeah, You motivate them, you reinforce trust. That's empowering. That feels as if we were losing control sometime, but it's not about losing control. It's about giving control, giving control to those who are best equipped to deal with it. So all elements, passwords. So I think the book helps better understand what all the elements are about. And it conveys a system that they can follow. And this is also why the course's introduction, it is about, you know, why will the system help you? Because I bet everyone who's listening here thinks that leadership advice comes in peace and fashion. There is not a system. And this is what I try to solve. And certainly in the course, I give first the overview before I talk about each element, at least 
on a high level in the introductory course. Cool. So you mentioned the course and then there would be another probably longer coming up. So is this the route you want to be taking now that you told me that you are completely focusing on, you know, your next endeavors, which is obviously one of them is writing, teaching. Is the other one speaking also or advisory? What's Or you want yeah, to go yeah. back to law? <laughs> I can exclude this. Yeah? This is the one thing that I can exclude. No, I mean, I'm working on a really, really interesting project on a new fund. Um, I think that's what I'm really passionate about. But also there's a lot going on currently. Also due to the to the book, I've um, done a lot of coaching, a lot of keynotes recently. I like this. So let's see what 2023 brings. Certainly if I manage or if we manage to raise this fund, I need to focus on the fund. But writing will always remain a passion and I will not stop writing. I will write for the for the Inc. magazine uh, on leadership and growth. And I will definitely also work on the third book at some point in time, yeah. even if it's three o'clock in the morning. You know, when you had your discussion with your neighbor uh, who was talking about the principal, who's, yeah. let's put it that way, a self-proclaimed leader. There are plenty of this. And, and, and then you have these other, you know, headlines about toxic leadership and things like that. How to deal with people like this? Like when you have someone who's a self-proclaimed leader, someone who says, I'm an authority in the field or I'm a leader here doing that. And you know that this person is the only one thinking about himself or herself in that way, knowing that everybody else doesn't perceive it that way. I'm personally a big supporter of giving feedback to people in general. Like if I see someone who has, I mean, one of my talks actually had the topic like, uh, your zipper is open. If someone's got a zipper that is open, <laughs> I will literally tell them because I think I'm doing them a favor. I'm not like offending yeah. them, you know? So how do you deal with this situation? Yeah, I think this is, um, I would say currently there's still a war for talent. The best people can choose wherever they want to work. And if you are, if there is a self-proclaimed leader, people will just leave. And over time, there's so much turnover in the team that others will notice and will also figure out the reason for this. So I think it probably takes some time, but the problem will be solved somehow unless the culture in the organization lives on proclaimed leaders and this kind of leadership style. I've personally worked in these kind of cultures where people were climbing the leadership ladder by being the A word. Yeah? So, and then it's about us just, you know, to change something or to leave. Yeah? I think it's always like change it, accept it or leave. For me, it's still something really, really valuable. As you said, with the, uh, the zipper or my neighbor trying to change, she tried it with her principal. He doesn't want to change. So there are only two options left. You either accept it or you leave. Because if you continue fighting, it's just energy wasted. Uh, but unfortunately, I think in our organizational setup, very often, very uh, people too far away from us would have to make a decision to exchange the leader the self-proclaimed leader. Um, so it's not easy. Probably boils down to, to culture also a lot. So maybe you should give her a book she can offer him. <laughs> the thing is, would I, he I will, get I it? Will I will test her on that one. Yeah, You know, why not? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just to see how would this person, because we're giving the example of this person, we don't know who this person is, might be a very nice, whatever, humble individual, I don't know, maybe humble is not the right word, but yeah, how would someone perceive like receiving such a book to be like, okay, please, you need to change, <laughs> like be self-aware because the concept of self-awareness here, I guess, is 
is massive. Yeah. But yeah, how to go around those things? I mean, it's the art of communication. Rizzo. If she goes there and, and gives them the book and says, you know, you should read this, maybe you, you would become a better leader. It's probably not the best approach to have him read the book, right? So it's about communication. In my TED talk, I talked about the other way. We have leaders, maybe let's assume that the self-proclaimed leader actually wants to change and thinks, you know, maybe I have to develop my leadership skills. And he wants to learn the leadership house framework. What I said is, you know, maybe it helps him become a better leader. But if he hands the leadership house framework also to his team members, they all would maybe become a better team. And the people who follow might turn into leaders themselves. And so that this kind of leadership framework trickles down the organization, effective leadership trickles down the organization and turns followers into leaders. And suddenly we have, let's say, proactive people in the organization who give feedback, who challenge one another, who call out bad behavior. This is also one idea I had when I thought about how powerful could this kind of framework actually be if applied correctly, if applied and embraced by people. I still believe it's possible. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm imagining, you know, I, I tend to visualize in general. So I'm visualizing this school principal and other teachers and everyone reading the book, especially like the teachers and the staff involved. Yeah. Then they will elevate their leadership skills to together make the difference probably somehow in the organizations, right? Because you were saying at the beginning, this book is for aspiring leaders as well. It's um, also for aspiring leaders, but it's definitely for everyone. It's not, it it's is. for everyone who needs, who is in charge of leading people. Yeah. And it's not, the purpose is to become a better leader, but the ultimate purpose is create strong teams, right? And for this, certainly you can, as a leader, apply the leadership house framework, but depending on how big the organization is, you also want to help the others. You want to lift the others. You want them to become better leaders themselves. You're lifting others. This is also leadership, right? It's yeah, not only about sure. myself. It's also about serving the others, right? You know, and, and I think, for example, I've discussed this in a group. So everybody read the book and we discussed this. And then everybody has to share something and says, you know, we should do this. We haven't done that. You know, how do you think about it? And then if you create a safe environment where you say it's now all about the team, it's not about the person, it's not about attacking, suddenly start, you know, coming up with ideas and that's just rewarding. Yeah. And that also what you mentioned at the beginning is that each person would probably focus more on one chapter and have a specific takeaway because it's, they could probably relate to personal experiences and drill down into that. And this is how you can also build communities like within the uh, company in terms of the culture. It's not just company, it's a community from within that grows and scales and thrives. And yeah, we're touching on different concepts here. So I don't know if there's anything specific about the book or not about the book. She would like to add something we didn't touch on. Anything specific? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think we've talked a lot about the framework and how it can help. Just looking forward to launch date and yeah. see hopefully that many people who read it also reach out to me like they've done with fast scaling. Yeah. So hopefully I can see that I can help people. I hope it's powerful. Yeah, hopefully. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be putting all your links actually in the, the show notes. So that's nice. anyone can just uh, reach out to you directly. And, yeah. uh, and leave if someone comment. wants me to, to keynote an event, I'm also happy. Um, so also reach out to me and uh, Maria fantastic again and you will get your signed copy it's tomorrow in the, in the post thank you so much wonderful it starts with the gut it ends with the gut it's in your gut gut talks